All right, for those of you who have been here, we know we are finishing up our series today that we call Engage. And again, we're, we've been talking about that as followers of Jesus, we need to seriously be engaged with Him. Um, that following Jesus is not just a, it's just not dogma and doctrine to believe. It's a life to be lived. That's why He called people to follow Him all the time. And so we, we want to be serious about that. And we started this way back on August 14th when Jordan and I talked about spiritual drift. And I'd said then that, to me, these were the five core practices. Nothing's going to prevent me from drifting on occasion because it's, Jordan and I preached about that like two and a half years ago. It's part of the up and down of living life till we know Jesus. I mean, we're with him finally and fully. But um, I can greatly reduce my time of drift or how often I'm in drift if I'll engage in these five things. And these are five things that people who follow Jesus just do. So... Um, it's, to me, it's just been a good reminder for me. So just for some summary, see how well everybody remembers. We want to hit those five again, just quick review. Do you remember what the first one was? They all start with G. The first one was, yeah, grow, that we want to be in a growing, living relationship with God, walking with Him. The second one, G, yeah, I see Scott Waters saying that, gather. We, we gather in community, large and small. The community is important. Um, the third one. Yeah, gifts, that the call to service, that God has given me gifts and abilities that He wants me to use to serve His body. The fourth one last week was, yeah, was give, that um, like anybody I love, I'm willing to give to them generously, that we give generously to advance the kingdom of God. And then this morning, we're going to hit the final practice, and it's actually found in Matthew 28, and I'd like you to stand. I'm going to put this one on the screen, and I'd like us to read it together. It's one of the most famous parts of the Bible. Great setup for next, uh, next weekend, um, but it's kind of what we're talking about. It's, it is what we're talking about this morning. So in Matthew 28, um, if you would read with me, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Um, in this text, there are three parts, and I've actually tried to make it structurally clear that there's three parts to this text. First is Jesus' declaration of His full authority. That's the first part. The second part is His command to make disciples. And then the third last part is his promise of his ongoing presence, his promise of his ongoing presence. So his declaration of his full authority, his command to make disciples, his promise of his ongoing presence. And I actually want to start with that middle section. I want to start with, with the command. And I've actually laid out the text in this way to, to make really clear what Jesus is saying because... Um, you know, sometimes when you're looking the way the English translations, there's nothing wrong with them, but it's not always clear. Here's what's really interesting to me. If you were to read this in Greek, what to us looks like four commands, usually when we read it, it's actually just one command in this text, only one command, and the command is make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. That's the only command in Greek. Then there are three participles in Greek, and you're like, who cares? And if I were in English in high school, I would have said, who cares? And I left high school still not understanding what participles did. Uh, so I hope there's no English teachers here because I just never got it. 
till I took Greek, and then when you're taking another language, you're like, oh, that's what those are for. And what participles, one of the things participles do is if I give a command of the participles, the, the participles tell me what's involved in doing the command. Does that make sense? So that's what these three participles are. One of those participles is at the beginning before the command. The other two come after. And the first one is foundational. And it's simply going, going tells us how to do it. Because if you're not going, you're not going to be able to make disciples. Um, Several people, actually, but someone has translated this well, that it probably should read, as you are going, because it's this ongoing, the tense is just this ongoing activity. The word going frequently is translated walk in the Bible, and walk just refers to as you live your life, as you go about your life, your lifestyle, you know, as you're just doing normal life. So that's what he's saying is as you are doing normal life, as you are going, make disciples. That's the command. Make disciples of all nations. The two other participles then follow it and just tell us more about what making disciples looks like. I have to be going to help somebody become a follower of Jesus, but it just doesn't stop. If somebody commits their life to Christ, it doesn't stop there when they accept His free offer of forgiveness. There are a few other parts of making a disciple. The next one is is baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to be doing that baptism. And then the third thing is, after baptizing, is teaching them to obey about 50% of what I've said, right? You pick and choose what you like, you can have the rest, right? To obey what? Everything. To obey everything. That's His command. And so then we teach people. Let me say one thing about this, the baptism one. If you have received Christ as your Savior, saved totally on His gift alone of salvation through His death, burial, and resurrection, not on anything you've done, if you've come to that point, but if you've never been baptized, I want you to know that's like the next step of becoming a disciple is after I receive him, baptism is, the, is the, 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 the obvious kind of next step. So if you haven't done that, um, please don't come up this morning. I'm not going to dunk you yet this morning, but let us know because that really is an important thing. It really does solidify that decision. Um, I've been there. I know. It's, it's really significant. So that's the command. Make disciples by going baptizing, teaching. And then he brackets that on the front and the end with those two other important statements, which again is his declaration of his authority, that all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. And then he ends it with the bottom of that is, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And he tells us those two things so we won't be fearful in this disciple-making process. Like, Jesus has all authority. I'm going in his authority, and he's present with me. So I don't have to be afraid of this task of making disciples, that I can do it because he's with me and he has all authority. But this morning, I really want to focus on that, that middle part and specifically the command and that as you are going to make disciples of all nations. Probably a lot of you know this is frequently called the Great Commission. I'm curious, how many of you have heard that, that this is called the Great Commission? Um, I've heard that since I became a Christian and this week I was thinking about that and I'm like, I'm not 100% sure I know what commission means. I have a sense, but I'm not sure. So I looked it up. And a commission is an authoritative charge or command entrusting a person with a task. And you're probably saying, duh, Garen. I mean, that's what it means, right? But that just was meaningful to me. It's, it's an authoritative charge. It's a command that's been given to us, entrusted. So that's why it's called the Great Commission. This command to make disciples of all nations. And why is it called this Great Command, this Great Commission? 
What's the last thing he said before he left the earth? You know, if somebody, their last words are significant. And he's saying, this is what's on my heart, is that I want all nations reached. I want people to come to know me. I want to make disciples. So he's calling us to be on mission with him and to help make disciples of every nation. Somebody has called this, because of that, the great co-mission, because he's asking us to partner with him on his mission. I really like this, uh, this language. Actually, the first place I heard that was the guy who came from Arkansas for a missions conference. I don't remember his name. He ended up coming like twice in four years. Anybody remember his name? Probably not. It's part of my old age. Maybe you're all old. That makes me feel better that nobody else knows. Um, but he used that a lot, and I really liked it. So this call for us to be on mission with him. And this very much is on the heart of God and on the heart of Jesus. From the, the fall when the first man and woman broke relationship with him in Genesis 3.15, he already set in plan his mission to bring lost people back to himself. He's been on that mission the whole Bible. And probably the, the, the best verse on this, set of verses that I've used two weeks in a row, but I'm going to use it again and add one to it, is John 3.16 that talks about God's heart of mission, that God loved the world. He loved the world in this way. He sent His one and only, His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have eternal life. And then John 3.17 adds this, He sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world or judge it, but He sent Him into the world to what? To save the world, this saving mission that He's on. And obviously, this is the core of who Jesus is. He's the one who paid the price for my sin right on the cross to save me. So we know it's at His heart. I just want to show you three verses of things Jesus said that use the word came when he's talking about, if you asked him, why did you come? Three really clear verses. First is Luke 19.10, where Jesus says, the Son of Man, I came to seek and to save the lost. People who have walked away from the Father, who've, who've wandered away and who need back to relationship. I've come to seek and to save those people. In Mark 10.45, um, I've used this one like the last two weeks, but it's a great scripture. Where Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to give his life for me, to pay the price of my sin, so I don't have to. And then John 10, 10, to those who come to follow him, he came for this also. He said, I came so that they, to give life, that they could have life, life to the fullest. Isn't that a great promise? Life to the fullest. That's why he came, and that's the good news of Jesus, that though I was lost, in my sin. He came seeking me to save me. He paid the ransom to pay for my sin, and when I come to accept him, he wants to give me the fullest life possible. That's the good news. That's what we are proclaiming. That's at the heart of the gospel. And speaking of Jesus' ministry, I mean, he was all about proclaiming the good news. In Matthew 4.23, speaking of Jesus' ministry, he says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So if he placed such a high priority on the proclamation of the gospel, do you think I ought not also place a high priority on that? And that's why in John 20, 21, Jesus said this. He said, as the Father has sent me, I am what? I'm sending you. I'm sending you. That, by the way, is why at the end of the service, when I say you are sent, it's because of that. It's not just a throwaway line, or it's not, as some of the smaller children have thought, that's my, that my cue that you're dismissed, right? 
There's intentionality to that. It's to remind us every Sunday. We've gathered, but now it's time to be sent. In 1 Peter 3.15, Peter tells us believers, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. And Isaiah 52.7, I love this scripture. How beautiful. This is God's view of people who are on mission with him. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and of salvation. There's that word salvation that keeps popping up. So this text today, this Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and the scripture we've looked at, it's all about us sharing the good news, being personally involved in letting people know about Jesus. And so that is our fifth and final practice. We'll just call it gospel because we've got to do the G words, right? It's gospel. That we're committed to the spread of the gospel. And I mean, this whole series, again, as a whole, it's been about being engaged in our faith with God, being engaged with Him, right? I'm engaged with Him personally. I am engaged in meeting with other believers and gathering within the community. I'm engaged in service to the body. I'm engaged in giving to resource the advancement of this gospel message and of the kingdom. And I'm engaged in advancing the gospel personally, personally. The call of God, I think, that we be intentional in growing with Him, that we be intentional in gathering with other believers, that we we be intentional in, uh, this is all for me for review, by the way, so that I don't ever forget these things, to be intentional in gathering, to be intentional in using my gifts and abilities to serve the body, to be intentional in giving of my resources to the kingdom, and to be intentional in taking the gospel to those around me. And in all these practices, I was kind of wanting to say this early on in the series, but I've saved it for the end. Um... These five things should never be about have to. They should all be about get to. There's a big difference, right? It's not, I read this command of Jesus, oh, I have to share the gospel. No, I get to share the gospel. I get to be a person that God uses to maybe help somebody come to Jesus, right? And to get true life. I get to. I get to walk with God and have a dynamic relationship with Him. I get to gather with people who love Jesus like I do. I get to use my gifts and abilities that he's given me. I get to use them to serve the body. I get to take some of the resources he's given me and I say, Lord, I'm so thankful. I want to give some of it back to you because I care about your mission. And I get to be a part of sharing the gospel. As scary as it can be, I get to be a part of helping people come to know him. You know, if you think of, the small, of, of all living life, organic life, from the smallest simple cell to a blue whale, um, All healthy organisms reproduce themselves. Is that not true? A healthy organism reproduces itself. It multiplies. This is how God has designed everything in creation. And a healthy church is one where we are multiplying ourselves into disciples. We're making disciples. A healthy church is a place where we are concerned about God's mission to reach people. And it's something that's on our heart. And again, that's why I love the missions conference so much. Because it's all part of that mission, and we get to come together and hear all that God is doing among the nations. And I've also been saying this about these practices. They're not just have-tos. They're, I mean, they're get-tos, not have-tos, but all of these things should flow out of love, right? If you love somebody, think of the people you love. Are you not concerned about the things they're concerned about? What's important to them is important to you? I mean, as a parent, think about that. I'm looking at some people who have adult children. You care so much about the things going on in your your children, your adult children's lives, right? Shouldn't it be that way with God? That if he's got this passion for lost people knowing him 
and these lost children being returned in a relationship, should that not be of a major concern for me? Because that's what love is like. You know, this whole topic of evangelism can be a little bit scary. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But I just want to remind all of us as I've been thinking about it, evangelism is natural evangelism. We do it actually all the time. Think about it. I am more than happy to talk with you about the people I care about in their lives, right? My children and my grandchildren especially. Do you have an extra hour? I could tell you a lot of stuff that's going on with children and grandchildren right now, some exciting things, right? New things Della's doing or Nella, Nella, Del, Nelly or Della, I'm getting their names all confused now, but uh, you're like, do you, do you know your grandkids very well? Um, I do. Um, you brag about that. You talk about things that matter to you, don't you? And for those of you who aren't in sports, I'm sorry that I use these illustrations all the time, but I mean, the Broncos and um, the Jayhawks, I talk about that because I care about it. Those of you that love the Chiefs and um, the, the Wildcats, you talk about it because it's important to you, right? Probably all of us talk about the Royals. Not enough because it's going to be another 15 years still there in a World Series. Like, uh, that one kind of hurts. But you talk about things that are important to you. I talk about the Colorado Rockies because I love the Colorado Rockies. Um, I, the mountains, sorry, not the team. The mountains, let me clarify. Just yesterday, Mel got married. Mel plays bass and drums sometimes from Ghana. Cool wedding, and on his honeymoon, they are tomorrow going to be in Granby, Colorado. Uh, I have no idea how that seed got planted in his mind to honeymoon in Colorado. So they're going to be in Granby. When he told me Granby was the place where they were going to land, I'm like, Mel, you were at the base of the Rocky Mountain National Park. You've got to go in there. You've got to do the Trail Ridge Drive. You've got to go to, you got to, go to Bear Lake. The Aspens are turning right now. You've got to go see the elk because that matters to me, right? And so I evangelize to those things. Um, Think about your, the products you love or the restaurants you love. You rave about them to people, right? I could talk all day about Bluebell ice cream, that it's the best, or Fitz's root beer out of St. Louis. If you've never had Fitz's, you need to get it and try it. Kieran has it shipped to Oregon. He loves it so much. Um, Jose Peppers, their Espinaca. How many of you had Jose Peppers Espinaca? It's like amazing, right? So I talk to people about it. Chick-fil-A nuggets, who doesn't love, yeah, okay, Chick-fil-A nuggets. They're the best. McDonald's, I, I never liked McDonald's nuggets. Those Chick-fil-A things, they're addictive. Yesterday morning, before the wedding, we were up in Topeka. I had my first breakfast bowl at Chick-fil-A. Oh, my gosh. Let me be evangelistic about that. That's good, okay? I'm also happy to talk about and brag on something or somebody that has been used in my life, like who has helped me in some way, especially like physically, like a treatment, Right? And so I could talk to you, if you need to go see a doctor or somebody, I could say, like, skip the doctor. Go to Newman and see Leighton York, who's a physician's assistant, because he will help you more than anybody, I know. I mean, I, that's just, I, I have been helped on our family so much by him with unique things that I'm a, I'm a big uh, Leighton York fan. So I'm there uh, in the uh, post office today, I'm like, Leighton, I am your fan. So here's what I'm trying to say. We evangelize all the time. Do you know that? We evangelize all the time. So can we also evangelize about Jesus? Can he be so important to her? We want, uh, to, to us, we want people to know about him. Um, we should be talking about him. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul says this, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. Boy, that's powerful. He's making his appeal through me. And then Paul says specifically that the appeal we are making is this, is be reconciled to God. 
I want to see you in a relationship with him. And as Paul says in Romans 10, 14, how can they call on somebody they've, they've not believed in? How can they believe unless they've heard? And how can they hear unless somebody tells them? Unless somebody tells them. So, um, why do we struggle with this? Because everybody does, to a degree, right? Why do we struggle? I think there's a lot of reasons I've been thinking about. I just want to hit one this morning. And it's probably the most obvious. It's fear, right? You start talking about sharing your faith, and I mean, this is kind of the look everybody gets in their eyes, right? Not just fear, but I think panic. Uh, panic. I think we're afraid of what people will think of us. That's one of the things. I think a lot of the fear flows out of a feeling of that we feel ill-equipped to share the gospel. I think a lot of people struggle with that. They, would, they want to, but they don't know how. There was a recent survey done by Lifeway, who's with the Southern Baptist, that found that 66% of evangelical believers say they are not equipped to evangelize. They've never been trained in any way. So that's why in the future I'm going to do a series on evangelism that's not just going to be talking about do it, but it's going to be, try to be very practical in giving you ways to do it so that we can be equipped. It's also why I'm going to do a series in about a month. We're going to start a series on work. And I want to talk about how, you, how the gospel and how Sunday morning can impact Monday morning and how very practically you can take um, things from Scripture that will help you at work to be able to, to be the gospel there, okay? So I think that, feeling ill-equipped. I think the other reason is, is I think some of our fear flows out of the model that a lot of us have been taught or shown about evangelism, which is um, cold turkey evangelism to strangers. You know what I'm talking about? Like going up to doors of people you've never met, met and you're talking to them or you just approach somebody, total stranger, and you try to give them the gospel. A lot of training that I'll hear about, hey, we're, there's going to be an evangelism training. What you'll find out it is you go to a place for a day, they tell you how to share the gospel, and then you go out the next day in the city and meet strangers. Nobody wants to, most people, I don't want to do that, okay? It makes me cringe, and it makes them cringe. I'm not saying God can't use it. Don't misunderstand me. But as a primary way of thinking about evangelism, it's not the most effective. And I think part of our fear comes because that's what we're taught. That's what we hear all the time. I was at the gas station recently getting my gas, and a person stepped through and started kind of giving me their religion. And you know, how, guess how interested I was in them coming through while I'm trying to get gas before I go out of town to hear what they wanted to say. My interest level was a zero, okay? And it was cringeworthy to me. And again, God can use those things. I'm going to give you a story in just a minute. But um, So here's my advice. Here's my, the model. Here's how I think about evangelism I want to recommend. Number one, that cold turkey stranger evangelism, if it is the, your main model of thinking about it, set that aside because I don't think that's what the Scripture talks about. Okay, Get rid of that as your main model of thinking about it, number one. Number two, instead, I want you to think relationally. Think relationally. Think about who are the people that are around me that I know and I love and I care about and make my focus on how can I share the good news with those people, okay, instead of the strangers. Um, so I'm thinking sphere of influence. I'm asking, you know, family, my friends, my neighbors, my coworkers, my colleagues, my classmates, who are the people God has brought around me, um, that's what I think Jesus means when he says to make disciples. As you are going, as you are walking, as you are living life with the people that he put around you. And then here's the mantra I recommend. Here's mine. Here's how I, for me. Um, 
I strive to be the good news and share the good news. So think relationally and just think, I need to be good news and I need to share good news. And the first of those is be the good news. In Luke 24, 19, it says, Jesus was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. So I'm just trying to take him as my model. I want to be the good news first, then I want to share the good news. And being the good news is really simple. It's just being a friend. It's loving people. It's meeting them where they are. It's meeting needs. It's hearing their story. If they're hurting, I pray for them. I bless them. I do, you know, things um, to make their life better. I try to be the aroma of Jesus. That's words from Paul and Corinthians. You want to kind of smell like Jesus. I think he smelled good, right? I, I assume. But you want to be the aroma of Jesus to people. Um, and just remember, people don't care what you know till they know that you care, right? So the people I know, I want to be the good news first. And then once I've earned the right to be heard, I want to share the good news. It's something that's on my heart. And I'm not going to go into a lot this morning, but I just want to share three quick ways to just help you get started on that if you're not. Uh, number one is to ask a real simple question, who's your one? If you were to think of everybody in your sphere of influence, and if you were to say, Lord, there's one person I so long to know you, I just want to know who's your one? To identify that, to write it down, to make it a regular prayer concern, that's the next one. You pray for them. You pray for them to know the Lord. It might be through you, it might be God bringing somebody else, but you, you pray for them. You pray for opportunities. You pray for open doors. Maybe they'll say something. They'll, in a conversation, they'll crack the door and you can step into it as far as they allow you to go. You're also praying for other opportunities because God may want me to talk to somebody who's not my one, so it doesn't mean I just focus solely on them. And then the third thing is just keep your eyes open. Look for small opportunities, be it with that person or somebody else. Can I give you a really good example of this from my own life recently? When we went to Oregon to see Karen, I left two days earlier than Pat because she couldn't miss a whole week of school. And so I flew up there by myself, um, flew to Kansas City to Denver, Denver to Portland. And the night before I left, Josue helped me to drop a vehicle off somewhere, my son-in-law, and then he took me home. And on the home, way home, I said, Josue, anytime I go on a trip, I take five books to read, and I might not even read one, okay? Any, I know... Kylie is like totally in on this. Anybody else, you're that way? It's, it's a really strange thing. We're weird, okay? You're like, what are you doing? So I was committed. I'm taking one book. So I said, host, wait, I've got five books I want to take. I need to take one. So he asked me uh, first, he said, what would be the easiest read in an airplane? I go, that's a good question. So it narrowed it down to two. And I'm like, well, that, that takes it to two. And he goes, which one has the best cover? Coolest cover. And I was like, I know exactly which one because it had a really cool cover. So I went home, took the cool cover one, put it in my backpack. So from Denver to Portland, I pulled, first I pulled the book out, you know, before I kind of get my pins and stuff, and I sat it in the back seat little thing, right, whatever that's called, with the, you know what I'm talking about, the net stuff. I sat it there, and after we got up to certain, I pulled it out, and I was reading it, and then we got about 20 minutes out where they say, put your table thing back up and all that, and those of you that brought five books but didn't read any of them, put them away, right? So I stuck the book back in that cover thing. And I no sooner had done that, and the lady next to me said, that book caught my attention. And I said, oh, that's interesting. And she said, um, could I look at it? And I said, sure. So I handed it to her. And she started um, flipping through the table of contents and looking at it. And she said, um, this is about Jesus, right? And I said, yeah, it actually is. Um, she, said, I, well, you, she said, what caught my 
my eye was the cover. So God's sovereignty, sovereignty used her sway to get me to take a book that she needed to see. Does that make sense? Isn't that cool? Because God's at work. So, and trust me, I'm not, when I get an airplane, I have zero intention of being, as soon as we take off, I want to share the good news of Jesus with you, and then I turn to this person. Like, I, I don't do that, right? It's not comfortable, but I do pray, God, if one of these people needs it, you've got, you open the door, and she opened the door. And so, um, we talked a little bit, and I easily could have just stopped the conversation, um, but I just, because sometimes you're fearful, right? Like, if I say too much, she's going to think I'm weird. And I just said, Lord, I need to step into this. So I said, I'm curious, why are you interested? She said, when I was in college, not even a Christian college, I took a class on C.S. Lewis. And she said, since I read Mere Christianity, some of his stuff, I've had this interest in Jesus, but I've never explored it. And then she said, uh, I don't like Christians, and I'm uninterested in Christianity, but I'm really interested in Jesus. And so I said, well, I'm a Christian. No. I, I just said, I said, I totally get that. I said, I said, what's really cool is what this book is about is it talks about, and she, I, I found out she was a Portlander, so these things really matter to her. I said, the things in our culture, Western culture, equality, um, the value of women, the value of children, compassion, like I said, all these things in our culture, that they actually come from Jesus. He's the one that planted the seeds in our culture, and that these things we value actually come from him. And she goes, that is so interesting. She said, I want that book. And she asked for it back, and she took a picture of the cover. Okay, so pray for opportunities. And when a door comes, I know sometimes it's fearful, but just step into it, okay? So practice five engagement. It is gospel living. It is out of a passion and love for Jesus and a passion and concern for his lost children, wanting them to know him, that I am willing to be, to be the good news to the people around me and to share the good news when God gives me opportunity and I'm praying and seeking opportunities to do that. So, okay. I just want to, I've done this with all these, with that scripture in particular that's obvious on there. Um, I just want to know, where are you with this practice? Where are you with gospel sharing? You know, asking, am I living into this command by God to be engaged seeking to both be the good news and to share the good news of Jesus with those around me. So now, how are you doing with this? Are you being intentional? Or I could ask this, is this the great commission of your life, or would you have to say, that's actually the great omission of my life? Um, I just want you to take a minute and just silently just talk to God. I don't know what he's talking to you about, but ask him those questions. Is this significant to me? So just take a minute and bow your head and just... Talk to God about that. How's he speaking to you this morning? Let me tell you why this is so important. There are a lot of people out there, because I was one at one time, who do not know God personally as their father. And what they think wrongly, I'm going to get this in a second, but what they think is, is the way to get to God, go to heaven when you die, whatever, is just being good enough. That if your good outweighs your bad, if you're just good enough, you'll make it. 
And so there's this kind of internal thing going, I just got to be good enough, I just got to be good enough. But frequently, people who think that, because I've been there, you don't know if you're good enough. You're not really sure if I were to die today, where I would go. That's where a lot of people like that are. And I want to tell you, we need to tell people that's not the gospel message, because it's not, right? I've talked about this before, but most people think that what Jesus is about is taking good pe- bad people and making them good, right? Or taking good people and making them better. And that's not what Jesus is about at all. If you remember, what he's about is in John 5, 24, where Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, who believes him who sent me, has eternal life. They will not be condemned. He has crossed over from what? From death to life. It is not about being a bad person becoming good or good or better. That's not the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus is that none of us can save ourselves by our good works, none of us that we needed a Savior to come to live the perfect life I should have lived, to die the death that I should have died. And the gospel message is this. I was dead in my sin before I knew Jesus, and that through Jesus, He gives me new life and brings me a relationship with God purely through what He's done, not through what I've done, by me putting my faith and committing my life to what He did on the cross. Does that make sense? Christianity is not about bad to good, good to better. It's about death to life, and a lot of people don't know that. And a lot of people need to hear that because they're on the treadmill of being good enough. And good enough is never good enough internally, okay? So that's why this is so important. So 12th, let's take seriously this command to make disciples because people's eternities depend on it. People's eternities depend on it. Okay, we're going to do the baptism now. And before I do, I just want to be clear about one thing because there might be somebody here who totally doesn't really understand what this is about, and who could think, oh, this is part of being good. God has check boxes, and if you do the baptism box, that's part of being good, so you go to heaven. I want you to know that's not what baptism is at all. Um, In the Bible, God is a covenant-making God. He makes covenants with people, and the covenant, the new covenant in Jesus is John 3.16. God loved the world in this way, that whoever believes in him, this is his promise, if I believe in him, I will not perish, but he will give me eternal life. That's the new covenant. So when I accepted Christ and his forgiveness, I became his, his child, right? Purely on what Jesus did. And anytime God in the Bible has a covenant, he always has a sign of a covenant. So for Noah, it was the rainbow that kind of gave evidence, a physical sign. Yesterday, Mel got married. I got to be a part of that service. They did their vows, which makes them married. We could have ended the wedding service at the vows, and they were married. But then after the vows is the exchange of what? Okay, the rings don't make you married. These are a sign of a covenant. These show people that I did get married. Does that make sense? They don't make you married. And baptism, the Bible says, is the sign of the new covenant with Jesus. Coming into this water does not make me right with God. It doesn't earn me points with God, none of that. It has nothing to do with my salvation. You'll see the stories, but it's people who are coming up and who are saying, I have accepted Christ, and when I did that, I went from death to life, and now I want to publicly show that. And so baptism as a sign is a picture, how that Jesus died for my sin on the cross, he was buried, three days later, he rose from the dead in order to offer me forgiveness of my sins and new life with him. And so if I receive him and that gift, then the Bible says I die, the old Garen dies, that I am actually, in some way, spiritually, I am buried, and then I rise to a new life. There's a new me that comes through me accepting Jesus. So in receiving him, I'm cleansed of my sin and rise to new life. Nobody's cleansed from their sin in here, okay? That happened when I accepted him. 
And so there was the old me, the Garen, who died when I accepted Christ, and now he's given me new life. So that's the picture. Does that make sense? I really want to be clear on that. That's really important. So it's time. I'm excited. Let's do this. Darkness lay. 
12th, may we be a community of people who have a passion for God's lost children, right? Who he so badly wants to know. May we be people who love and care and bless that we are the good news to those around us, and then we pray, and when you get opportunity, we share the good news with them. May we be that kind of place. May we be that kind of place. So 12th, literally, I mean this. You are sent. <laughs>